0: When I saw when I turned fifty that it was gonna be the Wednesday of the senior British Open, I told my wife I wanted to fly over there and, and try to qualify for it. And she thought I was crazy and but I did it. And it was the best decision I've ever made since I've been playing golf. Because if I wouldn't have gone over there and gotten in contention,
1: I would have never won Dick Sporting Goods, I don't believe. Hey everybody, before we get started, I want to tell you about the sponsor for this week's episode. AB Jets is a great story and great company. I'm not exactly flying around on private jets during this stage of my life, but if I were, I'd be calling AB Jets. They're one of the safest private air companies in the world. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. AB Jets is one of the largest Lear 60 jet companies in the United States, with nonstop access to most destinations around the US. Efficient, clean, and easy to work with, AB Jets is an experience that gets you where you need to go on time and with no hassle. Go to abjets.com for more information and book your trip today, or call them at 888-520-JETS. That's J-E-T-S. This podcast is also brought to you by My Story. If you stop and think about it, are there stories and experiences of someone you love that have been forgotten? If you could, would you go back into time and capture a series of conversations, family memories, and life experiences of someone you love that would be around to keep and share for generations to come? Here, I want you to hear one of our favorite clips from a World War II veteran on D-Day. How come your brother didn't go to Auschwitz? He was lucky he wasn't he was not caught. They just didn't get him. No. Where did no. like where did he hide? Or not they, they lived normal life as possible. <laughs> they just didn't come to their house. Yeah. And they right. went to your sister's house. Right. What did right. it feel like that night when you found yeah. out? What better way to keep and remember the life of someone you love in their own voice for generations to come? Go to mystorytold.org to learn more. That's mystorytold.org to learn more. My guest today is PGA Tour Champions golfer, Doug Barron. Doug turned pro on the PGA Tour in 1992. He played for nine years and then was out of the game professionally for seven. In 2019, when everyone thought he was crazy, Doug flew to Europe, qualified, and finished fifth at the Senior British Open. Since then, he has won the Dick's Sporting Goods Open in 2019 and the Shaw Charity Classic in 2021. And he's also known as the Champions Tour Workhorse. Whether you're a golfer or not, this is a great episode where you will hear Doug cover, They Have to Beat Me Too, how Doug thinks about the legends he plays with and how he stays locked in on his own game, raising money from friends and going all in at 50, forgiving yourself and playing your game, how hard lessons learned don't have to end that way, why he'd give anything to play one more round with his dad, and much more. Please enjoy this week's episode with Doug Barron. Doug, great to see you. Thanks for coming on tonight. Hey, what's going on? I read this, so let me know if it's not true. The quote is Other people knew, but I didn't know how good I could be. I read that in an article when you were talking about your game and the way you were when you were younger versus where you've been in the last several years. Is that true?
0: Yeah, I think when I was young, 16, 17, I, I knew how good I was, and I maybe took it for granted. But uh, you know, in my PGA tour career or my professional career in general, I think uh, other people may have believed in me more than I believed in myself. So uh, I always had a lot of good people around me, especially my wife. She she's always believed in me, and maybe I, you know, when I look back at my PGA tour career, I would consider myself an underachiever. Uh, but a lot of people said, "Oh my God, you played out there eight and a half, nine years," but Never won and never really reached the areas I did maybe in the other levels of my life. But yeah, I would say I've i all I've had at times had trouble believing in myself. Was there a point that you felt like you could hear it? Uh, you talk about when I didn't believe in myself.
1: No, no, when you did, like when you when you felt the shift.
0: Yeah, well, being out of the game for seven years and you know being out totally out of the game. I taught golf and had a couple other jobs, but. Being out of the game gave me such life perspective. And then, you know, being a, being there for my youngest son while he grew up and just learning to love golf again uh, was a huge thing. But then, you know, stepping back in and trying to play, you know, brought back some old demons. But I just seemed like after about six months of playing competitively again, I kind of found it and kind of just, you know, I, I won a few of these mini tour events before – I started my Champions Tour career, and it kind of just spurred me on with a lot of confidence.
1: Yeah. Well, when we were talking last week before talking today, you sounded very free, comfortable with yourself, comfortable with your family, comfortable with where you're at this stage, and you said that you were in better shape mentally and physically I think you said physically over the phone than what you were.
0: I'm in way better shape physically. I think, I think most of my PGA tour career, I weighed about 185 pounds. I weigh 165 pounds now, but obviously I've got more ailments probably than I had back then, but, uh, battling a few injuries at this point right now, but hopefully, uh, can get those behind me, but yeah, I'm in way better shape. I feel like I've put a lot more emphasis on eating right and, uh, sleep and all the things you need to
1: perform. I know you've done several interviews and I know you've, you've experienced great success over the last several years, but is there anything that you can say that you really haven't talked before about being in your early 50s and feeling young, maybe not physically, but it seems like yeah. from a performance standpoint or from a, from a mindset standpoint, where it, it seems like you're just, the snowball's just continuing to, to roll for you. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: I mean, I think if I'm hearing you right, um, I used to think it was snowballing, but now, you know, like my uh, my friend, Lauren Roberts, always tries to talk me and Doug, you know, if you're not top 15, you're not really having a good week. And that's kind of my mindset. I kind of believe that now. And so I, I, I try to figure out every week, what do I have to do to obviously win, but I mean, what do I like last week? I had that seventy-five in the second round, and I almost snuck back into the top fifteen. It was pretty cool. So.
1: Yeah, what were you saying to yourself at that moment? Well,
0: I don't really say anything to myself. I do a lot of meditation. Obviously, I pray a lot, but I do a lot of meditation. I have a, a Oculus. I use it morning and night. Um, I do a lot of Tony Robbins priming. I uh, just do a lot of stuff where I try to pre. <laughs> I've been doing it for so long. I just try to have stuff ingrained, you know? So like, hopefully when it is not my best day, like last Saturday just wasn't a great day for me. And like, I couldn't do anything wrong on Friday and Saturday I hit the ball just the same. It just wasn't my day. And those are the days I used to walk off the course and it may snowball, snowball the other direction, but I popped back and had a really nice Sunday. So I think I've trained my brain to, to, I, I love what Ted Lasso says in the very first, uh, Episode of the, you know, be a goldfish, that 10 second thing. It's so easy to easily said, uh, but you know, having a short memory is the key, I believe. And, you know, that's what I think meditations help me do not only have a short memory, but breathe different when I'm under pressure and have a little bit more calm under pressure and be more comfortable in the situation.
1: You seem to have a very forward thinking mindset, but you also seem pretty rooted in your own life experience to where, you know, certain people that, you talk to you have these conversations with it's almost like they're they're just completely trying to ignore certain things or certain experiences but you have this weird not weird because that would imply negative <laughs> like if anything i would say positive but it's yeah. this this tension between it sounds like just very very candid behavior but then also a sense of uh freedom again i come back to that word but to be like fully present and to and to not it doesn't seem like holding this a lot of baggage. Does that resonate in any way?
0: I uh, I feel like I've forgiven myself for a lot of the things I did when I was younger. Uh, what do I mean by that? I I wasn't. I don't feel like I was the father I wanted to be. I don't feel like I was the husband I wanted to be. I don't think I was the professional golfer I wanted to be. So when I decided to get ready to step out into this deal again, I met, uh, my wife and I met with a guy named Bob Williamson. He's he does like corporate training. He's also one of the pastors at my church but he kind of trains corporate guys and you know we spent 12 hours and what we came out was that you know doug you need to forgive yourself for all these things and you need to move forward but you you need to be you need to realize some of the things you did i won't go into great detail but and then you need to move forward and live in the present so you know i I used to catch myself with a lot of anxieties like last week i had a terrible anxieties the golf course was so tight i I mean if you didn't hit it in the fairway basically you had to retake so uh but I think if I could tell anyone out there no matter what stage of your life I mean I'm a believer in Jesus Christ but I have to forgive myself before I can forgive others I have to love myself before I can love others and I have to I have to treat myself you know good before you know so I can treat others well so it's kind of just the thing just try to <laughs> do the things I didn't necessarily do when I was in my 20s and 30s.
1: Well, I read this quote. It was on that piece after you won. It might have been your first Champions Tournament or your second. You've won two, right? Yes, sir. But it said Barron is a Champions Tour workhorse. If there's an event, he's there. He's played 32 times in the current 2021 season. I'm just curious, spending all this time on the road, spending all this time traveling, spending all this time with other golfers week to week, Mm-hmm. What's it? What was it like? Maybe in the first part of your career versus now, where you experience pressure the way that you do, you know, each tournament, each week. But then you've got family things going on, you've got kid things going on, you've got yeah. you're running it like you know a business, a company with right with earnings and all that kind of stuff. Are very few people able to process all that well? And does it create a lot of issues the rest of the time during the week? No, like
0: today, I spent the practice round talking to my wife because we were having a little issue at home and uh, I had to listen to that. We're about to renovate our house a little. So, you know, you have to – I was tired today anyway, so I I just wanted to get out and move my body a little. And I've got some aches and pains, but you just have to find balance. Uh, If my wife needs me, uh, that's more important than a practice round. If uh, my son needs to talk to me, that's more important than a practice round. Uh, uh, So – my youngest son and I have a great relationship. I, I didn't travel pretty much the first set. Let's see, he's 15. I didn't travel pretty much the first 10 years of his life. Cause I was out of the game and he never, he's fortunately come out and seen me play my oldest son. On the other hand, I traveled pretty much every year of his life until he was 15 or 16. And uh, he's in the army now he serves in the military. And, uh, but you know, so I've had two different relationships with my sons and, Uh, good and bad and work through and but there you have to find balance I mean I'm just I mean all we are is it's like any other kind of corporate job you have to put the time in unfortunately I have to put my time in on the road 27 weeks a year and I didn't play as many tournaments as Bernhard Langer last year I'll go on record he played one (laughs) more than me so that was crazy
1: do you ever feel like you're giving up anything by prioritizing these relationships the way that you say it
0: uh, no, i not at all because um, I know after we, we never play more than really two or three in a row. So I'm able to. You, if you think of the 27 weeks I'm on the road, that means I'm home for 27 weeks, which is nice. Uh, so I get to be spend a lot a lot of a home time. So uh, I don't have the typical nine to five schedules. So I can be there for my family when they need me. Like um, in the summertime, my son plays a, a pretty uh, big tennis. Ter- uh, he travels a lot for tennis so they travel quite a bit but he gets to come out my youngest gets to come out a few times and then like my wife comes out she tries to come out every you know like I'm on the road three weeks I was only home for last night but she's coming out next week to Newport Beach just because she hadn't been to that event yet and you know we try not to spend that many weeks apart but it's the start of the year and then after, after next week we have a little three week break because one of our tournaments in Morocco got cancelled uh, so it ends up giving us a little break which I was fine with so yeah. gives me some time battled through some injuries here.
1: Do you remember what it felt like in 1992 when you turned pro? What you were feeling at that time? Well, in 92, um, I'll
0: just be honest. In 92, when I graduated college and told my dad I wanted to turn professional, uh, I knew I wasn't ready. Uh, I was a really good junior player. I was pretty good early in college, and I was, I, I wouldn't say burnout, but my, I didn't even play my junior year. I, I just, didn't really love the game. And my senior year, I think I averaged 76. I always tell people I averaged 76 my senior year of college. And a few years later, I was on the PGA Tour. But, uh, yeah, in 92, I knew I was in over my head. But uh, I went and played a bunch. And then I stopped playing to figure out what I needed to do better. And then I went back and played in 93. But I really remember. I, like, I went out and played. It was called the Hooters Tour then. And I went and made 18 straight cuts on the Hooters Tour when there was 168 people in the field every week. And I thought that was a huge achievement Yeah, because I was starting to gain confidence back then too. And that spurred me on to playing the corn fairy tour. It was called the Nike tour back then. And then two years later, I got onto the PGA tour. So I, I I remember 92, not being very good when I turned pro, I was a little in over my head. And in 93, I worked my butt off and got better and caught back up to everyone that I let past me in college when I was out having too much fun and not working at it.
1: So Did you enjoy it more in 93, in those years, or did it still feel like you were forcing it?
0: Well, no, I enjoyed the work, because it's always fun when you're working on a goal to get better, and uh, that that makes it fun. I think anytime you're excited about something, it's pretty cool. Uh, When I first turned pro, I didn't really know what I was getting into. At some point, talent only takes you so far. you got to put hard work in after that, and I feel like over my career that I have worked hard, I just hadn't always worked on the right thing. So hard work for me, and that may not be beating balls all day, but it may be spending an extra 10 minutes working on my brain, you know, to stay in a calm mode. So um, I've learned to balance that pretty well. And I wish I could go back and tell the 22 year old Doug Barron what to do different. Cause I may be sitting on an Island somewhere in the Bahamas. <laughs> and it may be a lot different, but, God's got me on this path. So I'm going to take what he gives me.
1: Yeah. I saw that you took a couple of years off or when you were, when you took time off, you took a couple of years to take care of your dad. Is that right?
0: I didn't really take care of my dad. My dad has Parkinson's dementia. Uh, he's my best friend, uh, ever. He was the best man at my wedding. I played golf with him since I was eight years old. I can remember we played all the time. Uh, my dad got sick. He's eighty years old now. He got sick when he was seventy-one, and that's about the time I had fired myself from golf. I call it. I call it firing myself because if you stop playing, it's basically because you're either not good enough or you're running out of money. And I was doing both, and I had to support a family, and uh, I had one child at the time. So, and then one small child. So, yeah, I, my dad got sick when he was seventy-one. He did. He wasn't. Uh, he's been in a nursing home three years my intention was to start getting ready for the champions tour about a year earlier, but I thought we were going to lose my father. Uh, he got sick a couple of times and ended up in the, uh, he ended up getting called with septic, he, um, you know, uh, stuff got in his blood. And so they decided that they thought it was best to put him in hospice care, which I thought was the, a great idea. And, and people that don't understand this is long-term hospice care. So they just took him off the medicines he didn't need. and He can't go back to the hospital To be treated but when he gets a cold he can get an antibiotic and so it's worked out great he feels great he knows me still i don't cry as much when i don't see him but you know uh he's my best buddy
1: if you don't mind answering if you're okay if not i'll skip it but from a sure from a relationship standpoint i know he was instrumental with you with golf early on and i read that but what did he get right as a father, with your relationship that you're trying to replicate now with your sons, the way you've talked about them? Well,
0: my dad my dad got it right because he never pushed me to play golf. He didn't make me play golf. He didn't beat me down mentally like I see a lot of these parents do. He kind of let me go work with a teacher. He kind of, you know, I'm not saying he didn't ever say anything negative, but he never really made me lose my love for the game. Uh, even the year I took off in college, he supported that. And he kind of probably knew because I'd been playing competitively then for since I was 10 years old. And I just had, you know, I was 20 and got a little tired. But I'm so thankful for the way my dad, you know, never got in my business when it came to golf. And uh, he loved it. We, we loved to play together. And, man, I, I give a lot of money to have one more round of golf with my dad.
1: So you feel there's something there that you see a lot of people really screw up, where they they handle things a lot differently, and then it creates a lot of problems down the road. Yeah,
0: I, I use Sean McKeel as an example because both our dads were so great growing up. Our dads were best friend, not only best friends, but we grew up the same club, and they never they they were so cool. I mean, I always I thought it was cool as well that you know my dad pulled for Sean a lot, and his dad Buck pulled for me a lot, but. I just see parents now. I think parents are a nightmare in child sports, especially golf. Uh, I taught golf for 7 years and it was I mean I don't know how many parents I had to tell that I didn't really I didn't know how to do it in a nice way that they uh, they shouldn't be at the lessons cuz it you could just see the pressure. I mean, I can never remember my dad watching me take one lesson. He may I may have asked him for a tip or something, but my dad totally let me do my golf game along. We just played and I feel bad for a lot of these kids. I've seen a lot of kids that had a lot of potential whose parents just couldn't, couldn't, didn't know how to handle themselves and let their kid grow on their own or, you know, without all the pressure of the parent pressure from the parent. And I have a competitive tennis son and all I can tell my son at tennis is I love to watch you play and I can watch his mental game, but I don't really know anything about tennis. So I can't really be that dad. And, uh, my wife's kind of the coach because she's the tennis player, and then we have coaches for him, and uh, And he plays golf with me, and my youngest and my oldest plays golf with me as well. But I kind of kept my kids out of golf uh, just to not take the chance of uh, me being that dad. But it's, it's worked out really good where I can go play golf with my sons and have a good time, so –
1: And are you saying if you let the child drive the tempo or drive the desire for whatever the sport is and they're pushing the pace and then the parent as a result is supporting or doing whatever they can to help them get as much practice or reps in, whatever that might be, that's going to be the best, that's going to be the best outcome.
0: That's the stories that I believe uh, for me personally, it worked. If my father would have pressured me to play, would have shut me down. That's just my personality. I'm not saying it's the perfect recipe when you go back and read like Tiger Woods. I don't really think his dad pressured him. I think he just motivated him all the time. If you read the, read the books. And so I'm, I'm a big believer in parents stepping back and letting their kids go out and enjoy golf. I mean, I love golf so much that, I mean, I just love to be on a golf course. If I could be on a golf course every day, I'd be there. That's just what I like to do. And that was instilled by me, by my father, we grew up on the golf course and, He'd dump the shad bag out at night. We'd hit hundreds of drivers and, you know, we had fun. I mean, he made golf fun for me.
1: What do you say to the people that had a dream and couldn't make it to the PGA or couldn't make it to the Champions Tour?
0: I think some people don't have enough talent that have the dream. I think some people have the talent, but maybe put too much pressure on themselves. And I think a lot has to do with. God's will I mean I don't, why did God pick me to win my second tournament on the champions tour uh, I don't know I still don't know that but I know I have to go talk about him all the time because uh, it truly is a miracle and but he he did let my talents come out in a crazy pressure-packed situation that ended up being amazing so uh, uh, I give all all the glory to God when it comes to what he's done in my life but you know, there's been a lot of talented people that didn't make it in a lot of sports. And for me, if I go back and look at my PGA Tour career, if I was more physically fit, I think my mind would have been better. I, I didn't work on my mind like I do now, but if I think I would have taken care of myself and and done a little bit better on that area. There's no telling how much better I could have been. So, yeah, I think, I think there's, for the people that don't make it, I think that there's always one little thing lacking. So, and it, Mostly comes back to the mind, in my opinion. I see so many, not even, I don't see it out here as much because everyone's kind of at that place in their life, but you can go out on the PGA tour, the Corn Ferry tour, or or any of the mini tours, and you just see these kids beating balls, beating balls. I don't even know what they're doing. And it doesn't really help you, you know. So, you know, Vijay Singh just does it for therapy out here. He didn't really work on, he's worked on the same thing basically for 40 years. He just enjoys hitting balls.
1: Is there anything that you can say that, might be unique about what you've learned from a business standpoint about having a long career, you know, winning two championships here of late all the years that you've spent prior, but sure. all the independence, you know, that potentially maybe any inconsistencies at certain points or, you know, long seasons, lots of travel. Yeah. Is, there, is there anything that maybe gets overlooked from uh from a business standpoint that you've learned now that's maybe been, impactful to you and your family
0: well there's no doubt when i played the pga tour i would get done with a year and if i kept my job which i did five of the nine years it was like it was i don't even know it was a relief i would get depressed in the off season you know the cold weather the gray skies of memphis i would get depressed what i've learned now is uh, that i stay very active when i'm home and i I eat well. I try to stay active. I try not to lay around too much. I can catch myself getting a little lazy at home, but you know, I try to work out a bunch. Uh, I try to stay fit. I try to keep my mind healthy. And uh, I think back when I was younger, when I ran what was potentially could have been a bigger business, uh, I may have got lazy in the off season, and I like to shut it down for a few weeks. But I didn't really start getting prepared or didn't put the workout time in, didn't take care of my body, ate bad, drank too much, did a lot of things. So I think if you're running a business, you need to run it like the best businesses are run. And that's um, my formula is sleep, workout, eat right, you know, and get the right amount of practice and, and then prepare my mind. So I just kind of keep that little thing in mind and try to balance my time. Like, like this week, I'm a little tired already this year. I'm just battling an injury, and it's taking my necks killing me and uh and it just takes my energy out so I'm just pacing myself i just I got down today and I actually worked out for a little bit and I had the physical therapist work on me. I didn't rush to go get in eighteen
1: holes. I went and played about six holes, and I called it a day, so have you had a pretty painful injury each year that you've played?
0: No, I never really had a I never really had too many injuries on the PGA Tour until so I tore my shoulders in 05, and I ended up having five shoulder surgeries, and I never got back on the PGA Tour after 06, because uh, I, I ended up having three in a row at one point. But uh, my neck just started in September, and I, you know, my shoulder, it does flare up from time to time. Like I had to have it worked on today, but I've had three uh, shoulder surgeries in my left shoulder, so every now and then it does get a little achy and you know the weather's a little the, it's actually cooler out here than I'd than like it when I like it to be warmer like Naples last week was pretty good on my body so
1: is there a sense of just sounds like endurance or a sense of uh wisdom that you're you kind of know when to push it
0: like like this week I'm gonna chip and putt a lot for practice instead of hit balls so just try to save it because we got another week next week and um then I got three weeks I would usually at the start of the year, be pretty fresh. But I, I, I left for Orlando uh, a week before last week to go practice because the weather in Memphis was bad. And then the week before we went to Hawaii, I went to Orlando for ten days to practice because I didn't really practice a whole lot this winter. So I've actually spent more time away from home than I normally would. So, but uh, that's what happens when you get a cool wife and cool kids. So.
1: <laughs> I guess it was the first tournament you won when you joined the Champions Tour, Mm -hmm. was that Shaw? Was that in August?
0: No, that was my second When I won. It was the one at Shaw. I won Dick Sporting Goods in 2019 up in Indicott, New York. It used to be the BC Open on the PGA Tour. And uh, I actually, I played the Senior British Open, which was the week before. I flew over there and Monday qualified. I actually was tied with Bernhard with about five holes to go, but I bogeyed two of them and ended up finishing fifth. And then I came back over here and Monday qualified for the Dick Sporting Goods and then won it from start to finish in 2019. Hey,
1: everybody. We're going to take a quick pause here from the show and hear a word from one of our sponsors. After that, we'll get back to the show. Do you want to make efficient use with your time? Now more than ever, traveling hassle-free is harder to find. AB Jets is one of the safest private air companies in the world with impeccable service with nonstop access to most destinations around the USA. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. Bypass the hassle and get an AB Jets jet card that gets you 10 or 25 hour flight options that makes your experience hassle-free. AB Jets carries up to eight passengers is one of the largest Lear 60 operators in the U.S. Go to abjets.com for more information or call them at 888-520-JETS. That's J-E-T-S to travel on your own terms. This podcast is also brought to you by My Story. If you stop and think about it, are there stories and experiences of someone you love that have been forgotten if you could, would you go back into time and capture a series of conversations, family memories, and life experiences of someone you love that would be around to keep and share for generations to come? Here, I want you to hear one of our favorite clips from a World War II veteran on D-Day. How come your brother didn't go to Auschwitz? He was lucky he, wasn't, he was not called. They just didn't get him? No. Where no. Did, like Where did he hide? Or what? They, didn't, they lived normal life as possible <laughs> they just didn't come to their house Yeah, and they right. went to your sister's house right. what right. did it feel like that night when you found out <laughs> what better way to keep and remember the life of someone you love in their own voice for generations to come go to mystorytold.org to learn more that's mystorytold.org to learn more From a long-term standpoint on framing it, what can you say? I mean, you place so many tournaments a year. Every Mm -hmm. golfer does. And if you're having an outstanding year, you're still only going to win a certain few of those tournaments each year. But noticing your performance and noticing these victories 75%, 80% through the season, is there anything that you can say that you've learned from a sense of experience or just age where you're playing the long game and you're playing the long haul where you can still play some of your best golf, you know, 75%, 80% through the year.
0: I mean, even though I won last year, which I'm hugely excited. If you saw the interview, it was, it was a great interview. It was fun. But I mean, I was, I either had the lead or was in the lead in the final round six times last year. So uh, I had a chance to win a lot and only won once. It's just very difficult to win out here. So, Um, I had a chance to have a crazy year. So my goal this year is just not going to put any pressure on myself. I just want to be back in those spots to see how I handled again. and Hopefully, the ball will go my way. I I didn't necessarily give them away, but I I didn't sometimes play my best. And then sometimes a couple guys just outshine me.
1: From an ego standpoint, what can you say, the way that you talked about your family, the way that you talked about your marriage, it sounds like, there's things that can be learned from things that you've gone through at a younger age and then how that can be worked through. And then there can be a lot of growth. There can be a lot of closeness or it, things can even be better on the back end than what they were on the front end. If that makes sense. What can you say to that?
0: I use a statement for my wife all the time and we've been married 25 years. We just had our 25 year anniversary and she's, she always says I'd, I'd give up the first ten years of our marriage to have the last fifteen. And that being said, I wasn't a great husband or a great father. Uh, I was lucky enough to save my marriage. I never cheated on my wife or anything like that. But we 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 grew apart at times, and and we our marriage was in a bad place. Uh, I tell people all the time, uh, uh, I was given a second chance at marriage. Uh, it was a uh, she fell in love with me again. It was a miracle. And I changed. I looked in the mirror one day and I didn't like the person I was. So I just asked God to change me. And it was about a six month process and it gets still goes on every day. That's a, uh, uh, that's the hardest thing I've ever done. Cause I didn't always like me. Like I said, it's hard to treat other people good if you can't treat yourself well. So, but I've, I've been lucky and, and my wife's my best friend. I wouldn't be playing out here if it wasn't for her because I know no one believes in me more than her.
1: Is there a sense of peace or confidence that you feel like you have that maybe several others don't because they don't have that kind of perspective that you've referenced in this interview?
0: Well, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, we have a lot of great guys out here, but there's a lot of guys searching for happiness and peace and stuff like that. And so, you know, we have a Bible study every week. Everyone's invited, but sometimes people get intimidated to go sit next to Bernhard Langer and hear him talk about God or Lauren Roberts when he's out here. I mean, my friend Lauren's taught me so much. You know, I'm lucky that he lives in Memphis and we spend a lot of time together and I pick his brain all the time. And since I've been out here, I kind of call him my consultant because he's been great to me and he gives me a lot of advice. And if I'm in contention, he throws me a nice note or text. And uh, in my opinion, you need, uh, not only do you need to be stable around your, your family and other thing, you need good men around you to, to push you, you know, and I I feel like I go to a really strong church at home. And when I'm home, I go to a great Bible study that my friend Andy Savage who's my pastor does on Tuesdays. Um, I think there's like 75 men in it now, and it's just good to have uh, other men pushing you and talking to you. Uh, I've got three or four really close friends that encourage me and talk and are honest with me when they, don't like what I'm doing or do like what I'm doing and so it's good to have those people in your life and uh, I think every every person needs two or three or four good people in their lives especially if we're men you need other men in your life to kind of go through life
1: with have you been able to because of these experiences and because of where you're at now have you been able to to build some really unique relationships with guys coming up
0: yeah I've got some good relationships out here I hang out I I'll tell you the guys I hang out with the most—my friend Ken Duke, Shane Birch, uh, Chris DeMarco. Everyone knows he played. A, I think he finished runner-up in every major, mostly to Tiger. <laughs> uh, my friend David Tom's, but uh, we have a we have a game. We uh, I play with Tim Petrovic quite a bit. We we have four or five guys. If, if we're in town like today, I think uh, DeMarco and Birch got stuck in a snowstorm in Denver. They both live in Denver now, but we usually have a little game on Tuesdays and go to dinner. When, uh, when every now and then, and uh, but yeah, I've I've actually you know I've gotten to know Bernhard really well over these past few years. I lost to him in a playoff uh, in Richmond last year. That was a good experience. I would have really loved to have won because he had lost four playoffs in a row, and then I broke that string. But anyways, there's a lot of really good people out here. If you take the chance to get to know them,
1: when was the moment that you decided that you were going to make a run at it? To get ready for the Champions Tour.
0: You know, I, I, so I was out of the game seven years, and I was actually enjoying teaching. And then I started playing really good. Probably five years into what I was doing, I started just practicing, hitting the ball pretty well. I went and played one tournament, but I hadn't played so long. I was so nervous I missed the cut at the Tennessee State Open. And uh, But I was swinging so well, I was like, man, I got to go play a few more tournaments. Uh, didn't really aspire to the championship. I think I was like 47 at the time. I uh, still wasn't really thinking about it. And then then all of a sudden, I just, you know, I was shooting. I shot a 59 at Windyke. I shot 62 three straight days in a row, uh, you know, just playing in a regular game. And that's the kind of stuff you need to do. So I started thinking about it. And and I, instead of spending my own money, I, I went and asked 10 guys to give me some money. And I put up my own money, too. And then so when I turned 48, I started playing some mini tour events and one Of the things I did, I watched every single Champions Tour event every single week. So I knew the courses when I would be ready. But mainly, I was trying to figure out a way not to spend all the money that I borrowed from these guys playing these mini tours because it's very difficult. Even when I was, I would win a tournament and win like 5,000 bucks. That doesn't necessarily pay the bills. So I had another job as well that I did. So I guess when I was 48, when I really decided if I'm gonna do this, I need to do it now. And then I ended up starting just a little bit later because my dad was real sick. And then he got better and, you know, it was a little and a little more stable. So I may have started six months later than I wanted. But when I went in, I went all in. And when 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 I saw when I turned 50 that it was going to be the Wednesday of the senior British Open, I told my wife I wanted to fly over there and, and try to qualify for it. And she thought I was crazy and but I did it. And it was the best it was the best decision I've ever made. Since I've been playing golf, because if I wouldn't have gone over there and gotten in contention, I would have never won Dick Sporting Goods, I don't believe.
1: So how far in advance did you tell her that you wanted to go? How many days before that?
0: Oh, about two months, because I think I saw the where the deadline was or whenever the deadline was coming up, I just read it and I said, I think I'm gonna if I can get the trip for the right price. I think I'm going to go over there. I really thought I was going to go over and maybe not qualify and play golf for seven days in England. So, you know, regardless, it was going to be a nice, nice vacation. So Yeah. But I ended up making like 72 grand that first week, which was nice.
1: That's a good week. Yeah, it was a good week. But you were saying when you were teaching lessons those first few years, you had no big plan.
0: I had zero plan the first five years uh, that I was out of the game to ever go back to golf. It did uh It had scarred me a little bit, and I had a lot of baggage that I had still, and so I hadn't quite worked through all that. So, yeah, the first five years I was out of the game, I was enjoying life. I was playing a lot of tennis with my family. After work, I was working a bunch. I mean, golly, when you teach golf, it's an all-day deal. Were you only
1: teaching golf, or were you doing anything else, too, at that time? I was
0: teaching golf, and I was also selling like uh, promotional merchandise for one of my spots. LSI in Memphis. So and
1: you were working for them and teaching.
0: Yes. I was and and then later got into a credit card processing business as well.
1: Was that hard from an ego standpoint?
0: Not at all. I knew I knew when I wanted to start playing golf, I needed to find some other way to make an income because I couldn't teach all those hours and practice the way I wanted. So I started weaning my lessons down, maybe charging a little bit more you know, and we kind of weaning down the lesson so I could practice more. And then I had to find something else to supplement more income. So, I mean, I still have to pay for my family. I got kids in private school and, you know, my wife's a successful artist, but I think the, I think I did have to ask her to pay taxes one year. I usually pay her (laughs) that, I think a couple of years, but she paid for the kids' private school and I was able to take care of the rest of the stuff. So that was pretty
1: cool. It's, and so you're just kind of taking it one day at a time and then, but yeah, I
0: didn't really have a choice back then. <laughs> so.
1: And then, and then that's when two years out when you're 47, 48, you mm-hmm. went to a certain number of people, you raised some money, you put your own money in and that's when you, sure. you doubled down to make a run at it. Absolutely. And then your choice to go to the British open. Yeah.
0: It was a lot easier when it wasn't my money, you know, just a little bit of it. So I, I asked to, Two of my friends, three of my friends were are really dear friends that helped sponsor me and gave me some money and asked their opinion. And they said, 100%, you should go. They believed in me. It was kind of like them believing more in me than me, like we talked about earlier. So they said, absolutely, go get on a blind.
1: And so, but you had, because of these things that you had referenced earlier in the interview, you're at a different place mentally and experientially. And so you were clear and you were clean. Not clean from a like a sobriety standpoint, but clean from yeah. a, from I'm like a long a,
0: way from clean on that area. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, no, no. I meant like from a, from a presence uh, of mind standpoint. And right. You were, no doubt. You, you were focused.
0: I believed I could do it. I, I had won three mini tour events against younger guys uh, leading up to that. So my confidence was pretty high and I needed to, I needed to take those wins and, you know, go to a different
1: arena. Is that why your faith, Matters to you because you see this plan. Looking back,
0: I do see the plan. I think uh, I I, I never envisioned. I'm I'm just going to be honest. I never envisioned finishing fifth in the Senior British Open and winning Big Sporting Goods. It happened so fast that if I was playing so good, I just seemed like you know winning from start to finish was. I mean, I don't think you can plan that because I see guys come out here all the time. They Monday qualify. They think it's going to be oh, this is my week, and it's just so hard to win out here. It has happened. My friend Stephen Auker performed what was even better than what I did last year. But I'm just going to tell you it doesn't happen very often. These guys are tough. And for me to do what I did, I have to give uh, glory to God. I I can't see why how he picked me because there are a lot of good players trying. But I think I've inspired a lot of people like me to come out and try to do this a lot. So. Uh, to try to qualify and get in these tournaments and try to win. So,
1: yeah, and doing that. Yeah, what are you most excited about this year and in the next few? The
0: beauty of my situation is, even though I had a great year and finished tenth in the Charles Schwab Cup, I'm still on a one-year contract. I need to win at least five times to be able to just relax and say, "Okay, I can. I'm, I know I'm going to be out here the rest of my life." So, I have to either finish in that top 36 in the money or win one, or you know my. My career could be over as quick as it started, so to me that gives me freedom because uh, I need to just go out and wing it every week, kind of like what I do. I never give up, and so that being said, some people would tighten up. It's given me a lot of freedom because, like when I, it strives to make me know that I I might as well just go out and play loose because if I don't, I'm going to lose my job anyway. So I might as well go out and wing it, you know, is what I call it, you know, be prepared, but not over try anymore. Just go out and do the best you can. And I will have some bad weeks. I, had a, I, have a, I have a couple of bad weeks, but, you know, for the most part, I seem to get up there pretty much every week. So I feel like, I feel like these next two weeks, hopefully I can get contention and have a chance to win again.
1: Yeah. It's kind of a different question, but I thought it was neat when you were talking about your son last mm-hmm. week, who's in the United States Army and he's stationed overseas. What is it like from your standpoint, having a son at his age, volunteering and wanting to go into the United States military? That sense of service and sacrifice, even today, where times are the way they are, is there anything you can speak to that that you've seen when a lot of people are criticized today about only thinking for themselves versus somebody like within your own family?
0: I'm really proud of my son. Uh, He goes by the name Buzz. His name's John William. He goes by Buzz Barron. And I'm so proud. I mean, school was not for him. He went to Mississippi State and got in a fraternity and did what most kids do, flunked out, and got initiated and was having fun. And uh, we had him home the second semester of his freshman year. And the COVID hit. He was doing online school. He was going to earn his way back to Mississippi State. and. And he came to us and said, Mom and Dad, you know, I did, this was not for me. School's not for me at this point in my life. Not, I, one, I thought that coming from him, I thought that was just one of the wisest things I've ever heard because I would 100% agree. He was a lot like me. The only reason I went to school is because I played golf. Uh, class was not always my best either. Now my youngest son's very intelligent, but my oldest son seems to more have my IQ. So, uh <laughs> He wanted to go in the military out of high school, but all his friends were going off to all these SEC schools, so he thought he needed to as well. So uh, he came to us and he went through the process. And you know, my wife and I have cried a lot, We've spent a lot of nights, you know, not being in control. And uh, but he went to boot camp, went to infantry school. He got based in Port Carson, and then all of a sudden, found out he was getting deployed. I can't really tell you where he's deployed, but he. He's been there five months and he comes home June 9th and we can't wait. Uh, I talked to him for 15 minutes the other day and I was, you know, I cherish those moments. I I have to not be part of group texts and stuff because I leave my phone on 24 seven. If I'm not on the golf course, hoping he'll call. And um, (laughs) you know, it's weird to say this, but you know, my son is actually my hero. So it's a very courageous in my, in my, in my mind, I think he's doing, he's living his best life and, uh, I couldn't be more happy for him. Uh, that being said, we worry about him every day just because he's in an unstable part of the world right now. And, but I admire him so much.
1: What's in it in people like your son at a young age that are, that just want to go, they want to go serve.
0: He's an outdoorsy kid. He's a tough kid. And, uh, you know, he's really strong. He's dead look like me. Six one, very st- strong kid. Uh, yeah, he he wanted to serve, and he wa- he he wanted to get deployed. So he worked his butt off, and he got deployed. And so he's five months into a nine month deployment.
1: If you could look back and tell your thirty year old self something, what you know now, what would you have said? I'd
0: say be a lot nicer to yourself, be a lot nicer to other people, love God more, love yourself less. No doubt. <laughs> And you're saying that freedom at a younger age would have helped? No doubt. I think anybody it would help with anybody. Uh, no question.
1: I'm not sure exactly how communication can happen right now, but if you think about your relationship with your dad and you, if you think about wanting to play that one more round with him,
0: mm-hmm.
1: what would he tell you now just as how he's seen you in your career from going pro to today? What would he say? He'd say, damn
0: good job, kid.
1: I hear you. That's got to be pretty special. Yeah. Well, it's fun. It's fun talking to you. It's fun learning about you, and it's also fun just hearing the freedom that you have and how you play, but also how it seems to give you more confidence each day or each tournament and kind of let everything else the next week, the next year, all that yeah. kind of stuff take care of itself.
0: Yeah, I mean – I don't care where you are in life. I, I always ask some. I mean, you talk to a lot of CEOs. I, I take it with your podcasts stuff. So I, I I wonder what motivates some of these guys that have made hundreds of millions of dollars. Because uh, I've got a couple of friends out here that have done really well, and I try to find out what motivates them. And it's not. I, very rarely do I see it's the money. It's more the competition. How can you get better at what you do? And um, I just try to find a way. I'm a very competitive person. I love to compete. I'm glad I'm out here competing. I don't ever really think of the money. I don't think I've ever played golf for the money. I think there's a lot of things I could have done that made a lot more money. <laughs> so, but I love to compete. I love to find out if I can make myself better. And that's kind of what it, just what I look at.
1: Yeah. I think I would agree with you a lot. It's about competition, but I also think people, they find their lane and then they they just don't hold back. Most people right. that I've spoken with, I mean, it, it, there's some nuances there, but <laughs> I would imagine there was a sense of discomfort when you chose to raise some money, put that together and double down.
0: Well, just think if it didn't work, what would I be doing now? I, I would have to be trusting it in something. I'm sure somebody h- hire me to do something, but, my dad always instilled in me, son, do what you love to do. He, he was in commercial real estate for 43 years. He loved closing a deal. He loved being in commercial real estate. And uh, he always said, make sure you love your job. That's the most important thing in life. You only, you know, when you only live once you and you spend most of your time at your job, even more time with your family most of the time, you better love what you do. So uh, that's always come back to me in golf obviously has been a love and I've been fortunate enough to be good at it enough to be able to compete. So I'm glad I'm back doing what I love again. It's very fun.
1: Yeah. And also think certain, I think it can be easy for people to be scared, scared of if it doesn't work or so, then they don't go fully a hundred percent or they don't do whatever it needs to be done. And obviously there's no question about it, a sense of competition, but there's a sense of commitment and there's a, there's just a risk. I see time and time where people just they go broke yeah i mean they have those moments
0: i've almost done that trying to make it back onto the pga tour but i mean really i'm, I'm i live on a one-year contract until i can win a few more tournaments so i'm only a year away from not having a job but I don't, i'm just saying that's the potential it could have so uh, i have to stay kind of focused and try to make the best of every day
1: so you're not you're not thinking about anything except family your wife your kids and and just playing and, and getting on another year is that right
0: uh yeah that's about it i don't i'm pretty simple uh i don't really i do follow the stock market quite a bit i i have some interest i read a lot but yeah i try to keep keep it pretty simple uh when when you have a kid overseas in the military it, I, I pray a lot so uh my tour chaplain said You thought you were praying a lot till your son goes over and gets deployed. So he he was right. I I, I find myself praying a lot more than I used to. Uh, But right now, uh, my interests are family golf. That's kind of it, really. I don't really – I'm I'm a boring person. I'm I'm a kind of boring dude, but just enjoying a dream. Sounds simple and good. Yeah, simple is good for me.
1: I hear you, man. Is there anything we haven't talked about? today that you feel is important
0: i think i've shared pretty much about everything uh i think like what i'm battling right now in my own struggles i've got some injuries and i think people can freak out and think the worst but like last week you know when the tournament starts i kind of forget about my injuries so i'm a big believer in living day by day so and i predict in the future and living in the past so i think uh if you can live in the moment i think it helps a lot so I, i'm hoping this like my shoulder feels better tomorrow i'm not going to worry about it today so
1: yeah anyway. well i think there's a freedom and i think there's a yeah. freedom that you've unpacked here which i can't say what it was like for your own experience but you you envision sure. things or you see things a certain way doesn't matter who you are or what your last name is or right you envision this story, how your life's going to shake out. And oftentimes it doesn't shake out that way for a, for a period of time, or maybe for a long period of time, right. but then you experience enough, you find your lane and you come to understand, like really the best thing that you can do from a, from a life standpoint, from a family standpoint is just take it one day at a time. And, no uh, and, and, the, and there's this freedom that you've unpacked here within your own story and within your own career,
0: I, I do believe because I've lived it myself. I believe fear drives a lot of people, and I don't think that's for me anymore. Uh, it drove me crazy. So I think keeping life simple. One of the things I have to do because, you know, I can't I can't worry about the last names of some of these guys out here. There's a lot of legends at play. I still get intimidated when I go up to Tom Watson whenever he comes out. I still get intimidated with a couple guys, but. I try, not, I try to remember that, you know, I'm out here too and I belong and they've got to beat me too. So, you know, I've tried to flip it around. So, because if I looked at that leaderboard every week and you see some of these names out here, it can get kind of intimidating. So, but I remember that uh, some of these guys come up and go, oh, I must be playing good. I'm paired with you tomorrow. So, uh, I think that, you know, I've earned the respect of a lot of people. So, it's given me a lot of confidence as well.
1: You think those people feel the same way about other names?
0: I don't know. I hadn't really ever asked. I think some of those names, I mean, golly, I, I would tell you, I wanted to play against anybody but Bernhard Langer in the playoff that I lost at Richmond because I was like, his his destiny's on a on a trend that no one else has ever seen out here. So, <laughs> uh, But he's a good friend, and I love him. And I told him I was so happy for him when he won. When two weeks earlier I was – running around a green like a
1: buffoon, you know, so it is what it is. Crazy, crazy game. I hear you, man. Uh, This has been fun. I appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure. Good luck this week. Appreciate it. Hey, everybody. Since you've made it this far in the show, I want to share with you something that you may love. A few months ago, I was asked to interview a close friend's grandmother who's in her 90s. She lives outside of the United States and this is a way to get to the heart of her and capture her life in a way that could stay with the family for generations to come. This interview was an absolute blast and it brought tremendous joy and value to this family. Since then, I started doing this for others. If you have someone you love or know of someone whose story and life you'd love to capture in an interview, go to mystorytold.org to learn more. My team and I would love to discuss this with you further. Finally, Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Driven By Podcast. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review. Please subscribe to the show. And you can follow me on social, on Twitter and Instagram to join me for future episodes of the Driven By Podcast. Hope you have a great week and see you next time.